We are finally to Romans chapter 8. Woo! Man, I've been hugging everybody this morning. I'm so happy. Like, I love this chapter of the Bible. Today, we're going to begin what will end up... Am I on, by the way? On? We're going to begin what will be nine or ten weeks in this chapter. But today, I want to begin just by reading it as a whole. All right? Romans chapter 8, this is the word of our God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, from whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. For adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. (laughs) Wow, what a chapter. What promises. Man, one of my heroes of the faith, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a preacher, a Welch preacher uh, who I just loved. And and Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said that Romans, he believed was the greatest, uh, the the highlight of the entire scripture, the book of Romans. And of all of the chapters, that Romans 8 was the brightest gem of them all. Just what sweet words of encouragement, what hope comes from, from Romans 8 for God's people. And listen, we're going to spend nine or 10 weeks on this chapter alone. And if we don't feel like we cover something, we'll come back and cover it the next week. We're going to take precious time on this book because we believe that as we study Romans 8, we believe that God will produce in his people a heart of freedom, freedom in Christ Jesus. Today, we're going to look at the first four verses and you see the title there. We're looking for freedom in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump, we're going to jump right in. Father, I ask that you would do as we need you to do. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your promised word today spoken over us. God, may we walk out of this place finding freedom in a sweeter way than as we come, than we came in. God, do a work by the power of your spirit today for the glory of Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I want you to look with me at your outline there. And I want to tell you, I want us to find freedom 
in Christ. And number one, I want you to see as we rest in new identity, rest in new identity, as we rest in who we are in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest things I believe that I can personally do as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a preacher is speak uh, God's truth over your life. And one of the greatest truths I can speak over your life is who you are in Christ. I think that that's a bigger thing for me to do than what you need to be doing in Christ. I want to speak first who you are who you are as a child of God, who you are in Christ Jesus, for you to be able to rest in new identity. <clears throat> there, there is never a dull moment at our house. It's just not, okay? With, with three kids at home, one about to be here, uh, Lord willing, there's just not a dull moment. There's not really a dull moment with me at the house. And so like, when you add three hyper girls there as well, poor Catherine can, can barely handle it sometimes. One day I, I came home and Catherine was like in tears. And I was like, what's wrong? And she said, they're just like you. <laughs> so look, there's, not a, there's never a dull moment at our house and they are. But here's the thing. Out of my children I talk about, they all have their little just things that they do that I love to talk about. But Annie Ruth has the, she has such an imagination, okay? She is creative and she just lives her life kind of in like this alternate realm of using her imagination. And it's whatever is kind of driving that is what she is kind of obsessed with at the time. And currently my sweet Annie is obsessed uh, a little bit with Star Wars, and I mean, like, you go and you say, Annie, what's your favorite Disney princess? And she says, Leia. Okay, so, like that, so that's where we are. And if you're not a Star Wars fan, I don't get you. But uh, in my house, it's a, it's a big deal currently. And so Annie Ruth, when she's obsessed with something, she likes to play whatever that thing is, okay? And so currently it's Star Wars. And so every morning, including this morning, as I was working on, uh, you know, looking at this statement about who you are, Annie Ruth comes in, smiling as big as she can. It was about 6.45 or seven. And she walks up, she sits by me on the couch and she goes, are we gonna play Star Wars? And I was like, well, I, I think we can play. And she goes, okay, who are you? And I said, well, I'm going to be Obi-Wan. And she goes, no, you're Luke. Okay, so I was like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, who do you want me to be? And so it was Luke. And I said, well, who are you going to be? And she's like, I'm Leia. And I was like, okay. And she's like, thanks, brother. And then I was like, okay, um, if you don't get that, I'm sorry. But anyway, she's wanting to play this whole thing. And I mean, you get ready. Like we're trying to get going. I'm like, Annie Ruth, come up and eat breakfast. And she's like, you mean Leia? Um, Leia, will you come eat breakfast right now? Yes, Luke has prepared it for you in another galaxy, in another realm. Come eat your cereal. Okay, like, like we're always playing this game currently and using our imagination. But the question is always, well, who are you? You know, who are you gonna be? What's your identity gonna be today? Are you gonna be Luke? Are you gonna be Obi-Wan? Are you gonna be this? And so it's constantly a question about who am I? Well, moving from that out of the imagination world into the biblical world, we have this question that we need to deal with today so that we can celebrate promises. And it's this, is who are you? What is your identity in? Who, who are you? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? 
Biblically, we have two people we can be in. That's it. So today, before we move any further in Romans, we have to, we have to get this, that the first seven chapters have been walking us through our identity about who we are in the gospel or who we are outside of the gospel. And so your option today, as far as identity, biblically is this. You're either today sitting there in your chair in Adam by nature or in Christ by grace. That's your only two options. And once again, when I say this, I'm speaking from scripture. The Bible says you got two places of identity, two places to find your identity in, in Adam or in Christ, one by nature, one by grace. Now you probably recognize this if you think about it, uh, Adam, that's the nature that we were just born in. And so we studied chapter five and, and we saw that just by being born, we got the nature of Adam. Okay. So just by being welcomed into the world, as we came out, it was like, welcome little Adam. Okay. We, we came out, we're in Adam and in Adam means that you have the promises that ride with being in Adam in the natural form. That is uh, sin and death. Destruction. That's what follows being made in Adam. Hopelessness. To be in Adam, all you have to do is be born. Okay? And the scriptures teach that. Romans 5 was very clear about that. Through Adam, sin entered the world. It's passed who? All of us, just as we come into the human race. In Christ, what's the phrase that we often use? John chapter 3. We are born again, okay? We have new birth and our new birth is into a new nature and it's not in Adam any longer, it's in Christ. In Christ, and please hear me, there's only hope. Adam is hopeless. In Christ, only hope, only hope. Security, safety, Joy, peace, life, victory. Everything that your heart ever desired and tried to get it in the wrong place, Christ brings us freely and it's found in himself. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Why do I tell you that? Because Romans chapter eight, one through four has two of the sweetest promises and we're about to look at them. But they are not just generic promises. They are specific and they're tied to those in Christ. And so today, if you wonder, am I in Christ? Listen to me. If you look to Jesus Christ for your salvation, if you look to Christ and his finished work on the cross to save you from your sins, if you look to him and you receive his work on your behalf, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. These promises are connected to you. So if you've had the gift set before you and you've opened it, these promises are for you, okay? So today, find freedom as you rest in new identity. We will only build on that as we move to the second. Before we do that, I wanna read the first two verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those, and here it is, who are, look at it, in Christ Jesus, not in Adam, in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So in Adam, no good promise, no rest, no celebration. In Christ, only hope, only victory. So we look first at finding freedom in learning to rest in new identity. Number two, and we'll grasp more what that identity looks like, is we want to celebrate, I'm using a funny word here, celebrate scandalous promises. Scandalous promises. These are, these are promises that if we're not careful, we'll hear them and our knee-jerk reaction to, will be actually to be against those promises. Maybe not for us, but for someone else. Because they're so free. It's such grace that in our minds, we may think we deserved it, but that person over there doesn't. They're scandalous because Jesus freely gives it to anyone who will receive. You can be five, you can be 95, you can be rich, you can be poor, you can be educated, you can be non-educated, you can grow up in church, you can grow up wherever you want to. You can, man, if you look to Christ Jesus, you're welcomed in and given and lavished in grace. That's why it's scandalous. What promises do I mean? I'm only gonna give you two. And there are two that are found in these first four verses. There are many more that we just read from Romans 8 that we'll look at as we come to them. Today, there's two promises. I'm calling them scandalous that we're going to celebrate. Scandalous promises today. The first one is this. You saw it already. We already read it. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. what, What does that mean? Well, listen, simply put, this is to be felt and read like a legal term. And so this is to be, you know, that we are guilty of sin according to Scripture. We know that the Scripture teaches that and that we're guilty. If we've committed one, if we've committed zillions, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you are, if you, we read the other day, if you've committed one sin, you're guilty of them all. That doesn't sound real fair and fun, does it? But that's what comes with being an Adam. And, and here's the thing, we're, we're guilty of it. There's condemnation over us. One of the scariest verses I think you can read in scripture, especially if you're an unbeliever, is you read John 3 and you just read about how God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We read that and we find out about eternal life and we get excited. We get down to verse 17 and 18 and we start hearing about condemnation. And one of the scariest things about it is this. It says that Jesus came into the world to save the world. But it says, what does it say about condemnation? It says that those that that did not believe, they were condemned already. Like you're already condemned. Like you you were walking in Adam and you have condemnation resting over you. The story spoken over your life is condemnation. The story spoken, the song sung over you is death. Guilty. No hope. But in Christ Jesus, we're told, and this seems crazy because there's nothing else like this, but we're told that there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I want to help you understand this. When he he says no condemnation, this is better than, okay, I'm doing really good today. 
I'm believing hard today. I went to Sunday school today. I read my Bible this week. There's no condemnation over my life. Oh man, it's Monday. I don't feel the same as I did yesterday. I just messed up. Look at what I did. Now there's condemnation over my life again. That's not what this is. And a lot of you function that way. You function in freedom when you think you're doing good and you function in slavery when you believe you're doing bad. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God, he doesn't love me more when I do good. He doesn't love me less when I do bad. He cares about holiness, but we're talking about condemnation here. And if I'm in Christ Jesus, condemnation here at church does not exist for me. It's not that it got scooted over and I could work my way back under it. It doesn't exist. I'm no longer in the courtroom. That's how loud this good news is. Condemnation does not exist for those who are in Christ. It's done away with. What a sweet promise. If you believe that, Think of how much fear gets removed from your life. Fear of being rejected from the Lord. I mean, did you you hear this being read? There's no condemnation in the first verse. The last verse tells us about we can't be separated. Man, if that's true, we, we can be free. We can know that we're freely loved by God. Like he knows who we are and he still loves us. And his promises are for us in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, a a promise that you see is not only no condemnation or guilt for, for sin, but secondly, we see no bondage, no slavery to sin. You're not in bondage to it anymore. In, in chapter six, I just want to remind you of a verse in, in verse 14, it says for, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. That means sin no longer has ultimate power over my life. It can't have me. It doesn't have me chained. As I keep reading in chapter six, and as I understand chapter seven, and as I think about my own life, what I do know is this, is that it's possible for me to even though it doesn't have power over me anymore, even though it means I'm not in bondage to it anymore, I can still be obedient to it. And that's not good. And you know what that feels like. But just because you're even obedient to sin doesn't mean that you're out of uh, God's grace. It doesn't mean that now you're condemned again and that you're locked up once more. If God frees you, you're free. When we recognize that will be when we stop trying to get back in those chains. Romans 8 tells us that there's no more condemnation. It doesn't exist for you. And there's no more slavery for you to sin. The bondage is over. Romans 8 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, as we study this book and and already as we've studied the first seven chapters of Romans, you notice the word law is used several different ways. And so Keith talked about that uh, last week. 
And so I won't really speak much about that, but here's what I need you to understand. Today, we see two ways that Paul uses the word law. One is a power or authority, and I'm gonna use some little artsy language here when we talk about that, and I'm gonna say it's kind of like a story or a song that's spoken or sung over your life, okay? Uh, it's, it's like a power that you can't break from that's what we're talking about here in verse two. But in just a moment, we're going to look at a verse where law is referring to the Mosaic law and the law that we could not uh, fulfill ourselves. And Jesus Christ fulfilled it for us. We're going to see two different ways that he uses the word law. But right here, it says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And what I want you to see is this, is imagine a story or a song spoken or sung over you. And when it was sin and death, there was a law that it said this, you can never get, you can never break this. This is over you no matter what. This is who you are. You're an Adam. This is who you'll always be. This is your life. That was the song. But in Christ Jesus, there's a different song. And it's sung over you and it's of life. It's a power, it's a freedom, it's in the spirit. And the spirit now brings a whole new realm for you to live in. It's one where you don't have condemnation over you and you're not locked up in chains. You may feel like you're condemned, but in Christ you're not. You may feel like you're uh, chained, but you're not. If you would look down at the promises, you'd realize they're not on your hands. That's what God's word does to us. If you wanna live in God's promises, you got to know them. And God tells us this, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no bondage or slavery to sin for those in Christ Jesus. We have a new song. Now there's a song of, of freedom. The song of Adam was hopelessness. It was disappointment. It was ultimately death. But in Christ, the song is hope and victory and ultimately and forever life. That's the scandalous promises of God's gospel. I want us to move from, this is how we find freedom. I want us to move from not only resting in our new identity, not only celebrating these wonderful promises, but embracing, learning to embrace what we call the great exchange. I want you to look with me at verse three. This tells us how God could do something like this. How God could give us such a gospel. And so I want you to look with me, verse three. And for some of you, this may be eye-opening. <clears throat> We're told that for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So God has done something that we, in our human nature, in Adam, we couldn't do. So we, we saw that not only do we see in the law that we can't live according to it. But as Keith preached last week, it's a truth that's hard to hear, but we know it's true. The law even arouses sin in our life. So we're aware of that. As we study his word, we know that the law couldn't produce for us salvation. It, it couldn't give us what our heart yearned for, which was freedom and life. It actually brought us to a place where we knew we were enslaved. But it says that God has done what the law could not do. What, what did he do? It says by sending his own son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. All right, now we got to talk about this, and this is going to help tie in that in Adam and in Christ talk. Now, what does it mean when it says the likeness of sinful flesh? Does that mean he was like a human, but not? No, definitely. We have no gospel if he's not human. Okay, what this means is he was in the likeness of humans marred by sin. He was in the likeness of humans that were with the nature of Adam. So what I want you to do is think about what God's word teaches us. And I think you'll understand this in a different way. And you'll see that though the gospel is hard to believe, though the gospel requires faith, though the gospel could be called and uh, called foolishness by those who hear it, First uh, Corinthians chapter one, I do want you to see that it's logically easy to follow. Okay? The likeness of sinful flesh. When Jesus Christ was born, and I realize he is eternal. I know what the scriptures teach. Just roll with me for a second. When he was born into this world, the incarnation, born to Mary, he did not come as you and I have come. He didn't come in Adam. He came through God. So every human that has ever been born after Adam was born in Adam, except for Jesus Christ, who was not born through Adam, but he was born of God and from God. Now, why am I telling you that? Because I want you to consider this. When Adam was created, Adam was without sin. Adam had the opportunity to be obedient and to live and to enjoy a life with God in his creation. Adam did that for a while. Adam enjoyed time with Eve. They had a life where they walked in obedience and without a mar of sin. But Adam and Eve, they were tempted. And after being tempted, they sinned. And when they sinned, they brought a curse that was passed to you and I. And we all, according to the scripture, were born in Adam. Jesus Christ was born of God. And as he was growing up there in, uh, in the Palestine, I want you to consider this, that Jesus had the same nature as he was born as Adam did. Where he did not have in his human form, he was not marred by sin. Now, he, of course, is fully God and he was fully man. But in his human form as a man, he was like Adam before the fall. And Jesus, if you remember, after his baptism, he's what? He's taken into the wilderness and he is tempted. But Jesus, when tempted, unlike Adam who sinned, Jesus, when tempted, he did not sin. And for any of you who have ever been tempted and you all have, and then you fought it and you fought it and you fought it, but then you gave into it, you know that the longer that you fought the temptation, the harder it was. So I want to throw out there to you that Jesus understands temptation way more than any of us because he fought it. He never gave in. Jesus Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh because he was fully human, yet without the marred nature that comes through Adam. He was born from God. So it says he, by, that he was sent, that 
by sending his own son, God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a human. And then this phrase, and for sin, what that means is something like this. Oh yeah, and about sin. In regards to sin, let's get back to that and talk about it again. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is what Puritans called the great exchange. Some call it the great interchange. This is when Christ's righteousness is given to people. As we look to Christ, his righteousness is given to us. And our sin and our death, uh, our, our nature was placed upon him on the cross. So it's, it's a time when we receive Christ's full life and his finished work on the cross We receive his death. We receive his resurrection and that power just by believing. And as we do that on the cross, he took our sin, our shame, our guilt, our punishment, and it was placed fully upon him. I'll show you where this is in scripture. It's in numerous places. I'll give you, I believe, the most clear place. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I believe this helps us if we peace Romans 8, verse 3, and then we piece it with 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I think we have what we need to understand this. Keep in mind, we're saying that on the cross, something happened besides Jesus dying. That there was something that he took on. And we're we're saying that he takes our sin, he takes our death, he takes our disobedience, And by believing that we receive his righteousness, that we gain his life, and we gain his perfect obedience to the Father. Look at verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For our sake, he made him to be sin. That is, in this case, the Father. Okay? So the Father made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. Now, if you don't catch this, you won't understand the weightiness of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, he became our sin. He did not sin himself, but he took it upon him. And so Jesus Christ, he, uh, who knew no sin, he was made to be sin. Why? So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus Christ gives us his righteousness so that when I believe, here's how this works. God doesn't look at my life and say, I don't care about Colby. I just care about Jesus. So that's Jesus I see. It's not like that. Some of you communicate it that way. That's not how it is. It's God sees Colby and he says, I love him. I can have him. He is mine. Everything that was my son's, everything that was Christ, everything that Jesus accomplished, everything that he was obedient to, everything that he took, okay? Uh, I mean, everything that he did, he took it and gave it to Colby. Now Colby is my son. Colby is welcomed into my family. And all of that sin, all of the condemnation that was due to me, Jesus took it in my place. He died and then he rose. And when he rose, he was victorious over what he took. Isn't that great? 
I, I mean, that's, that's the gospel. It's the great exchange. The word of God makes sense of how he could do such a thing. Now see, if we understand that, then we understand this last part. And it goes like this. For us to find freedom, man, we've got to rest in who we are in Christ. We need to be believing these promises that he's given to us. Celebrate them. We need to embrace the great exchange. Know that, yeah, man, I am a sinner. But Jesus Christ took my sin. And now the way that I'm received by my Father in heaven is as he received his Son. He loves me. And I need to be able to find freedom as I walk by grace in the Spirit. Oh man, this is such a great part. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we'll jump right back in this next week. In fact, Larry Corder is preaching um, next week these, these following verses here, chat, verse 5 through 13 or through 11. I forgot where he's stopping, but, but we're, we're jumping right in to this and we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. But for today, what I want us to at least speak of is this. Then in Romans chapter 8, there's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. There's not a lot of talk about who the Holy Spirit is, but there's a lot of talk about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. The security that we have in the Spirit of God and the freedom that we have in the Spirit of God. In fact, in these first 17 verses, there's 17 references to the Holy Spirit. And what you'll see is uh, this, that as we look at the Spirit of God, whenever the Spirit is connected to an individual, there's power and there's freedom. I, I want to read for you this last verse for our time today. Talk about it, and then we're going to look at a couple of more scriptures and, uh, and conclude. But here's what verse 4 says. So we, we just saw that, you know, How did God do such a thing? Well, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Can I just make a confession real quick? I really can't see the words of my Bible. That's how bad my eyes are. So I'm gonna look at the screen. I'm sorry. Uh, My birthday is tomorrow. I'll be 34 and it's already going away. Okay, here we go. In order that, you can send me a birthday card. Going to it's tomorrow. All right. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, this is an interesting phrase because people interpret it differently. And so I'm going to give you one today that I believe goes with the whole of Scripture. Keith and I have uh, discussed this text and I believe this strongly. But one point I want to make is this, is there is a righteous requirement of the law. God cares about righteousness. And so church, can you hear me say this? God cares about your personal holiness. That gets left out of a lot of messages. Some of the messages that I preach to myself and self, you need to hear it too. God cares about your personal holiness. But your personal holiness can never earn for you favor with God. 
And so what we're about to talk about when we talk about life in the spirit and walking with the spirit is not a new law for you. Okay. What we're talking about is this. God did this work through his son, Jesus, so that the righteous requirement of the law that he demanded might be fulfilled in us. How can that be? Only one way. It's because I'm tied to Christ. That's it. It's not because now all of a sudden I live this new life of great obedience and it's perfect. That's not it at all. My hallelujah comes because the righteous requirement of the law, I could not do. Jesus Christ did it for me and I am looked at as fulfilling the whole law, even though I don't. So for you, Christian, you'll break the law. Now, I want you to grow. I want you to be more like Christ every day, but you will break the law. But what we see is this, is that even when you do that condemnation that was removed, that bondage that was broken, it's good from now until you're with him and forevermore. It's always there. And so the law is fulfilled in us because Christ is in us. Because his power is in us. His spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit of God is in his people. And the law, the righteous requirement of the law is now fulfilled in us because Christ fulfilled it for us. So what about this walk by grace in the spirit? Well, I just gave you the by grace. So you can walk out of this room ready to grow in Christ without fear of condemnation. Okay. It's like, if you don't read enough tonight, you won't think that there's God about to strike you. So if you don't do enough next week, you'll know that God's not mad at you. That's how people function. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we walk by grace, lavished in grace. Now, finally, with the power and the mindset to live the life that God desires for us to live, a life that is what? Of love, loving God and loving our neighbor. We can now do such a thing. We're free to live that life. And so I'm going to finish just with reading you two scriptures, and then I'll ask the worship team to come up after I read those scriptures. But one is this, and, and it's just, man, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. I just want to read it for you. I want you to hear it and celebrate it. When we talk about the spirit of God, we're told that in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, so when somebody looks and they turn to the Lord and they receive him, it says that the veil is removed. And this was the veil that blinded us from being able to see the good news of Jesus. But verse 17 says, but now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, say it church, there is freedom. There's freedom. This makes me so happy. There's freedom where God's spirit is. And this is why I tell you that. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it. Some of you, when you think about church, you don't think freedom. You you think something else. And if you grew up under legalism, no, that's not Christ. Legalism's not God's spirit. Legalism is man trying to do what only God can do. So I'm sorry. If I've ever 
You've been around me. And you said, where the presence of Colby is, there's not freedom. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I could potentially let you down in that way. And I'm sorry. If any person you're connecting freedom with God to a person, you're missing it. If it's not Christ Jesus. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There is no freer place to be than with God. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1. Man, Jared just read it earlier. It says this, for freedom, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last week, we read down in verse 13 of chapter 5, and it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But listen to this. Look at what we're free to do now. It says, But through love, serve one another. Man, God's not after you to strike you down anymore, person. That's not who our God is. God's wrath is way greater than just following you around wanting to slap you with a stick, okay? And his grace is a lot greater than you can imagine. The life that you're called to is one that's free. Man, if you're in Christ, brother or sister, you're free. You're free to finally love and to have peace and joy and comfort. You're you're free to rest, not worrying about if you should be hiding from God or or making sure to apologize for not being at church last week. Like you don't have to do that in Christ. And just rest, rest for freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour, if any of you start biting each other now, I'm gonna really get on you, okay? Like, don't, don't bite. You know what that means. But really, that shouldn't belong here. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, but now you're under grace. Now, what I want to say to you is this. These next few weeks, we're going to begin talking about really how God's Spirit and and God's gospel, how this produces in our lives real change. See, for some of you, for years and years, you've wondered why you're not changing the way you think you ought to. And I, and I will be clear about this. I, I am, I mean, I'm kind of joking about my birthday, but my birthday is tomorrow. And at 34, I will say this. I'm not who I thought I would be by 34. Like, like I'm not. Like if I, if I just evaluate my life, like I don't pray the way I thought I would pray at 34. I, I, I'm not, I don't long for the coming of Christ to the extent that I want to long for the coming of Christ at 34. I'm not as gracious as I wish I was. I mean, you know, those things are tight. I get it. Change is slower than I wish it was. But in Romans 8, and by the power of God's spirit, by the beauty of this gospel, we're going to see how change takes place in our life. And we're looking at it without the fear of condemnation. If you're in Christ, you're safe. 
So over these next few weeks, man, may, may God use his word to purify you and to grow you and to change your life. That's what we're praying. I ask our worship team to come up. And as, as they do, listen, here's a call for today. You heard a very direct statement. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. If you know that these promises don't make sense to you because you don't even, you, you don't get it. You're not in Christ You've never believed the gospel. Listen, if that's you and you have a desire to believe, guess what? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Come and believe today. Come tell me, come tell somebody. I'm not, I'm not gonna stand and face you today. I'm, I'm gonna stand and worship as well. But I'll be down here on the front row. Come up and, and, and talk. Tell us where you are. Come and pray. Altar's open. Pray where you are. Believe this place today in Christ. We're going to come to the table in just a second. This is for those in Christ. It's a dummy proof way to preach the gospel to yourself. Eat and as you eat, think of his body. I mean, that's what it is. Like, this is how we preach the gospel. This is one way. Leave this place in Christ. By God's power, there will be no one that will leave that will not be identified with his son. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you do a great work. Well, we know that you...